guys can go ahead and grab a seat. I want to welcome you once again to Northridge Church. We're glad you're here. As you're getting comfy, feel free to grab your phone or your device to pull out um, our our, our uh, sermon notes, you can find that at the Northridge Church app. Hopefully, if you haven't downloaded that app already, you have that on your phone. And uh, welcome to, if you're with us for the very first time or new to Northridge uh, today, we are glad that you are here. And we're working our way through a series called Marked By. And in this series, we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit that we see talked about in Galatians 5. And each week, we've been looking at one of those fruits and talking about it and kind of doing a deep dive on that. And this, this fruit is really just these attributes, these characteristics that ought to be present in those that claim the, the name of Jesus Christ, that as we surrender our lives to God, as we follow him, that he does this work inside of us to help us become more like him. And this fruit that is produced um, impacts us, it changes us, and it also is a light to the people that, that are around us. And one of the things I've really enjoyed about this series is that we, we haven't just been doing this series, you know, as adults, you know, in, in our, on Sunday mornings. We're doing this all throughout our youth ministry, all throughout kids' ministry, where each week they're tracking right along with us at the fruit that we're looking at. And I, I know it's been a tremendous blessing to the Miller household as we have three kiddos and um, of just growing together in the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, uh, a little over a month ago, we, were, uh, we went camping. We went tent cap- camping up in the Adirondacks, and tent camping is one of the things that we have discovered in COVID that our family really enjoys and we love, we love to do. And um, so we decided, hey, we're, we're going to go camping. So we were going up to the Adirondacks for a few days, and um, if you've ever tent camped before, especially with kids, you know the one thing that you want to try to avoid is rain. Um, rain and tent camping, throwing kids, it's just, it's just not a lot of, it, it just can be a big downer <laughs> on an otherwise like really exciting time. And so the day that we were leaving, there was like a 50, 60% chance um, of rain. And so we were deciding, do we go today or do we go the next day? You know, if you're anything like me, man, I can find a good reason to do anything, especially something I'm really excited about. So I was like, honey, there's a 40% chance it's not going to rain. Like those are pretty good odds. Like I think we can do it. So we went and we got rained on <laughs> and we got wet and uh, that first night, man, it, it rained pretty much m- most of the night. And so we, uh, we, it, it stopped raining in the morning and finally, you know, when the rain stopped, we came out of our tents and uh, we we're like, okay, we, we got to get a fire going. Everything was damp and wet and it was cool. It was like 50 degrees in the morning up there in that Adirondack. So my son Landon and I were like, all right, we're going to build a fire, start drying out, starting to, you know, to warm up, and I am no fire-making expert, um, especially when everything's wet, um, but Landon and I were like, all right, we're going to give it a shot, we're going to do this, so we start building the fire, and like, we are just going at it, and it's not going well, we are really struggling, and I don't know what prompted him to say this, probably it was the growing impatience he could see in me, or my frustration, but we're working, and he, he just says, Dad, isn't this, this is a great opportunity for us to work on patience, like we talked about yesterday at church, <laughs> and I'm like, Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, you're right, son. That's right. I was thinking the same thing. No, I was not. You know, I was far from it. But uh, man, it's interesting how God can work through our kids to remind us of the things that we need to be pursuing. And hopefully you're bumping into that as a family, even if you don't have kids in our kids ministry or youth ministry, that you're bumping into moments throughout this series where God is helping you and showing you areas of your life that you need to more fully surrender to him so he can do this work inside of you to produce this fruit that only he can in our lives. And so we're going to continue that discussion today and look at number eight out of nine in the fruit of the Spirit, and that is um, gentleness. Gentleness. In fact, I want us to all look at our theme verse throughout the series, which is Galatians 5, 
verses 22 through 23, which uh, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we're going to zero in, in on this word gentleness. And if you're using a different translation, you might even see the word meekness there. Meek and gentle, it's the exact same word um, in the Greek language, in the original language. So they, they mean the same thing. And I'm sure as we've gone through this series and we're working our way through the fruit of the Spirit, I would imagine for many of us, if not most of us, probably some of these have struck us differently. You probably look at some of the the things listed here and you're like, okay, I I could see how that makes sense. For others, you're like, man, wow, okay, out of all the fruit of the Spirit, like why is that one on there? And I know for me, this one gentleness was the one that kind of like I had to think about for a little bit of like, why why would this be one that's present on here? And I, I think part of that for me is, you know, when I look around at the world and society today, um, man, I just don't know that gentleness is, is something that is viewed as like a, a, like a positive thing. I think in our hard-driving, ego-driven, market-driven world, you just don't hear a whole lot about gentleness, you don't, and I don't know that business leaders and organizations have like gentleness high up on the list of character traits that they're looking for. Um, you know, and, and people, when you read or look at the top leadership books today, like meekness and gentleness isn't in the title. It's not even in the subtitle, right? It's all about how to achieve, how to dominate, how to build, how to grow. Gentleness, it's just not very prevalent. In fact, I would even argue that gentleness is, or meekness is viewed more of a negative trait in our world today. Right, if you're gentle, well, that means people walk all over you. If you're meek, that means like you have no backbone. You're just a follower. You're, you're not a leader. Instead, you got to be strong. Don't let people walk all over you. You need to stand up, have a voice for yourself. You know, you, you, gotta, you have to be strong. But I think as we're going to see and learn from how the Bible defines um, gentleness, and even ha- as we see it modeled throughout the pages of Scripture, we're going to realize that gentleness does not mean weakness. Not at all. I'm not even close. In fact, um, we see in the, in the greatest sermon that has ever been preached in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is, is speaking to thousands of, of people, and he's talking about these keys to living and experiencing this blessed life. It's often known as the Beatitudes. And in his third point, just a couple of verses in to the greatest sermon of all time, look at what Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 5, he says, blessed are the meek, or gentle, for they will inherit the earth. What Jesus is saying here is God blesses those who are gentle, and then it's followed with this promise that the whole earth is going to belong to them. I don't know if you're like me, but I read that, and I'm kind of like, what? Like, are you kidding? Like, here's the most important sermon of all time, and the third point in, which has to be one of the craziest, most extravagant statements ever made, that the whole earth is going to belong to anybody who is meek or gentle. Do I really believe that? And honestly, I don't know that I would believe that except for Jesus said it. And Jesus is the truth. I mean, Jesus even said, I am the truth. Not I have the truth, not I teach the truth. No, I am. I am the truth. So Jesus says, blessed are those who are gentle and the whole earth is theirs. Man, we got to pay attention. We got to lean in here to try and understand, okay, what in the world does this, what does this mean? Society says, those that are meek, those that are gentle, they're the weakest. Jesus is saying the gentle and the strong, they're, man, they're the, the gentle are the strongest on the planet. According to Jesus, the arrogant, the self-focused, the, the prideful individuals, they're the weakest. The strong are those who are gentle and meek, and the world is theirs. It's interesting, when you actually look at that word gentle in the original language, which is Greek, that's what the New Testament was writ- written, and that word gentle is really used to describe 
um, a horse or a stallion um, that is kind of brought under control of its master or of its rider. You think about that, right? Think about a horse or a stallion. Man, it's this beautiful picture of power and strength, right, and, and speed. When you think about, you know, a horse that is taken in and bridled and trained, right, it's this picture of power and strength under control. And a tame horse is no less strong than a wild horse. It's just as strong, just as powerful. It's a gentle horse, though. It's power under control. That can be effective for its master's use. In fact, that's the definition, uh, the biblical definition of gentleness. It's power under control. That's what it means. That's what it looks like to be gentle, power under control. And we see this definition so perfectly lived out and modeled for us through the life of Jesus. All right, we have to remember Jesus, he was God in the flesh, creator, stepping into his creation. God in human flesh, that's Jesus. And while he was here on earth, he possessed in himself the inherent power to create a galaxy. Right? He said, let there be light, and there was light. He still had this inherent power, even while he was here on earth during his 33 years here, and he displayed actually that power from time to time while he was here on earth. Here's just a couple of examples. First, the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed was him turning water into wine. You can read about this in John 2. He's at a wedding in Canaan, which is in Galilee. They run out of wine there. They're in trouble. They come to Jesus and say, help, we're out of wine. So Jesus takes six stone jars or jugs that are full of water, and he turns it into wine, probably the best wine this world has ever known or experienced. Why did he do that? Well, because he had the inherent power, supernatural power, to be able to do that. Side note, man, I would have loved to try that wine. Can you imagine having wine that, like, Jesus made, what that would taste like? I don't know if your mind works like that. Sorry, but I, I think about these things. Um, another example, the loaves and the fishes, right? Jesus takes uh, five loaves of bread, two fish, and he turns it into food that can feed 5,000 people. Right? Why? How did he do that? He had the inherent power to do that. He created the elements that were in the grain. He put the two fish that were in the sea swimming around. He had the power to be able to do this. He calmed the storm. He healed people. He commanded the demons. We see this power in Jesus. Jesus was not weak. Was he meek? Yes. Was he gentle? You bet he was. But he also carried and displayed this incredible power. He's the best example of gentleness, this power under control. And it's interesting to actually look at how Jesus even describes himself. Look at what he says in Matthew 11, verse 28. These are powerful words, that words that are available to me and to you today. Incredible words. Look at what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was gentle. He was powerful, though, too, all at the same time. And not only does Jesus describe himself this way, but we also see him demonstrate and show this gentleness throughout his ministry. We see this throughout the gospel. An example of this is at the beginning of John chapter 8. I'll just summarize it. But Jesus, he's teaching two crowds uh, to people, which he would often do. And the Pharisees, they were always out to try to get Jesus, to trap him, to trick him, to kind of corner him. So as Jesus is teaching these Pharisees, they find a woman who is caught in adultery, and then they bring her before all of these people and before Jesus and say, hey, look, this woman was caught in adultery. We, we need to stone her. We need to kill her. And then Jesus, in this incredibly powerful moment, demonstrates amazing power under control and an amazing act of gentleness. He totally changes the, the environment and the scene with these 10 words. He just says, let him who is without sin 
cast the first stone. Right? And immediately everyone recognized, man, we are all guilty of sin. It's a picture of Christ's gentleness. And what's interesting, at the end of that story, though, Jesus turns and he looks to the woman and he says to her, go and sin no more. We also see that strength that Jesus had even in his gentleness. We see the Apostle Paul. When the Apostle Paul kind of got into trouble in Corinth, uh, there was some stuff going on there and he had to defend himself. He appeals to the gentleness of Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. So what's happening here? Well, there's this rebellious group that has kind of risen up within the church at Corinth, and they're rejecting Paul, they're rejecting his authority, and they're telling other people, man, don't listen to this guy. Don't listen to his message or, you know, this message of the gospel that he is preaching. Don't do it. And so Paul responds in his appeal to this rebellious group. His defense was the gentleness of Jesus Christ. It's a reference to Christ's gentleness with us that in his slowness to anger and his patience with us, He does that in order to allow us time to repent and turn to him. And Paul is urging the Corinthians to do the same thing. Turn to Jesus. It's a picture of Christ's gentleness towards us. So we see Jesus. He describes himself as gentle. We see him live this out throughout his life. He is the perfect example of gentleness, power under control. But to help us, I think, more practically even understand what this means and what this ought to look like for us in our lives, I actually want to go back to kind of where we started in this powerful verse In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, um, in the statement that Jesus makes, Matthew 5, verse 5, where he says, Blessed are the meek, the gentle, for they will inherit the whole earth. What Jesus is saying here is he's he's saying, look, guys, there are blessings that you can experience when you live a gentle life. That there are benefits that Jesus wants us to see and to experience in our lives. And I think understanding some of these, we're not even going to be able to cover all of them, but some of these are going to help us practically know how to show and demonstrate uh, gentleness. So what are some of these blessings of living a gentle life? Well, first, um, is it, 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 uh, gentleness diffuses conflict. Gentleness de-escalates anger. It diffuses that time bomb that might be building in a relationship. Maybe you've experienced that where for whatever reason there's a rift between a coworker of yours or a family member or a friend and man, things just have not been the same. And the longer time goes, the more that wedge is driven into that relationship and you're wondering like, man, at any point in time, man, if something happens or something is said, boy, this thing's gonna blow up. Well, gentleness doesn't allow that to happen. Gentleness de-escalates those situations. It de-escalates anger. Proverbs 15 verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You ever, ever notice that we tend to mimic the emotion of the person that we are in a conversation with? You ever, have you ever seen that? Um, it, it's true. In fact, it's hardwired in. This is part of God's amazing, beautiful design. They're called mirror neurons, and these mirror neurons actually help us to be able to empathize with individuals. And so if you've noticed, like you could be in a conversation where someone's getting fired up or excited and like their voice gets louder and pretty soon you start to emulate that. Or if you're talking with someone who's sad or depressed or struggling, like you, you can tend to mirror that same expression. And here's just the tip. The next time you're in a conversation with someone and they're getting upset or frustrated or angry, I would just, just encourage you as their voice gets louder, get quieter soften your voice. As their expressions get bigger, let your, your expressions um, get smaller. That's gentleness. That's power under control. Gentleness, it diffuses conflict. Another blessing of living a gentle life is that it disarms critics. Have you ever noticed there's a lot of critics in the world today? 
right? I think we all get that. Like, man, there are critics just about anything and everything today. And did you know that there are some people that feel most alive when they're in an argument and when they're angry? There are people that feel at their best, most energized when they're angry and mad and critical and going after somebody. Like that, that is a very, it's a real thing. In fact, the Bible even talks a lot about how are we to respond to people like this. And actually, I don't know if you know this or not, did you know that, that I as a pastor, I am forbidden from getting into foolish arguments. I'm not allowed. I'm forbidden from getting into just ridiculous arguments. We see this in 2 Timothy 2.23 where we see here in Timothy, he's describing like the qualifications to be an overseer or an elder or a pastor. And he says here, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone that agrees with him. Wait a minute. Everyone that agrees with his political affiliation or only Christians. No, you guys get it right. It's everyone able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. The reality is I'm not allowed to quarrel. I'm not allowed to get in these foolish debates and arguments. And the reality is this is transferable to all of us. The same is true for us. Instead, we're to model gentleness. We're to model respect, even in our, our disagreements, even to, um, even to those critics. Uh, another blessing of gentleness is that it witnesses to unbelievers. Man, it does in a powerful way. I don't know if you know this or not, but people are watching you. They're watching you. They are paying attention. If they know you go to church or they know that you're a follower of Jesus, they are watching you and they're watching to see, man, are you any different than they are when the pressure in life starts to crank up? Are you any different when the tension, the stress, the burdens of life start to go up? They're watching and, the, and they're looking. And when you respond to that pressure with gentleness, it's a powerful example to them where they're like, man, man, something, how are they able to respond and have such calm in the midst of whatever the trial or circumstance might be? I love what 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. He's saying always be prepared. We should be ready. Man, people are watching. We should be prepared to, to talk about and explain that this, that this hope that we have in Christ. But when we do this, we should do it with gentleness and respect, regardless of their background, regardless of where they're coming from or how challenging or how difficult they might be, we have to do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, we don't go out pumping our Bibles or, or thumping our Bibles, screaming at people, turn, turn and burn or you're going to die and fry while we go up into the sky. Like, don't do that. That's a terrible strategy. Terrible. In fact, if, if you want to know the thing that produces the most righteous anger inside of me. It's the people that are out there with a Bible in their hand just screaming at people. In fact, I, a few months ago, we went to a Red Wings game. Um, uh, and uh, if you go in the main ticket booth area, in fact, if you've been to a Red Wings game, you probably already know the story I'm about to share with you guys. But you'll often see one or two guys that are standing by the ticket booth. There's usually two of them. They're holding a the Bible. They might even have a microphone. And they're just yelling, yelling at people, turn or burn holding the Bible up. And if you notice, they're talking at people, but they're not talking with people, right? People are looking at them and honestly just like, whatever he's talking about, I don't want to have anything to do with him. 
Whatever God he's talking about, I'm going to go the opposite direction of whatever he's, he's preaching. And I'm confident that those, those, those guys are doing way more harm than good for the cause of Jesus Christ. That is not a gentle, that is not 1 Peter 3.15. Gentleness witnesses to unbelievers. In fact, it's, this is a big part and heart behind our outreach strategy as a church. That's why we don't do huge events or big outreach things. We want to try to equip everyone to live pi squared is how we say it, to pray, invest, invite. That, that's a gentle approach um, to reaching people for Christ that we pray that God would work in people's lives to bring them to the point of turning to him, praying for opportunities that we would then be able to invest, to become friends with, to build relational bridges, get to know someone so that we can then invite them towards their next, their next step with Christ. That is a gentle, that's a gentle approach and witness to unbelievers. And then lastly, which is probably the most important one, is that gentleness makes me like Jesus. Gentleness makes you like Jesus. You want to be a godly man or woman, we have to learn gentleness. And I want to go back again to these incredible words that Jesus offers to me and to you today. Look at what he says, Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all, of, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Th this means, look, if I want to be like Jesus, I've got to learn gentle. So let me ask all of us just a question, a really important question. Lean in here with me on this one. Is it possible that the stress you are feeling today, is it possible that the pressure, the anxiety, the worry that you are feeling today is because you are not a gentle person? Maybe the reason why you're stressed out all the time, you're tired all the time, is because you're not gentle. Jesus says, I am gentle. If you come to me, I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you peace. I'm not going to give you pressure. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you stress. And remember, he is the one who supplies it. He's saying, come to me. If we want to experience this, we can find it no other place than at Jesus. He has so much to, to offer and wants to give us. And so if, if you're walking away here today saying, all right, I'm going to be gentle. I got this. And so tomorrow morning, you know what? I'm going to say good morning to everybody. And I'm going to smile and I'm going to be kind and say please and thank you. No, that is not, that's not what we're saying here. You can't fake gentleness. It's an inside job. It is a work that Jesus does in our hearts and lives as we give our lives to him. And he takes the stress and the anxiety and the worry and the pressure and instead supplies us with peace and with strength and with gentleness that we can then demonstrate to the world um, around us. Remember our theme verse, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Right? It's gentleness. It's something God produces inside. You can't manipulate it. You can't manufacture it. It's an inside job, something that God produces in us as we come to him and give our lives uh, to him. One of the things I've been, uh, I've really enjoyed throughout the series is that we, we try to end with just practical next steps that people can take to help them think through whatever, whatever fruit we might be talking about that day. And I want to do that. I want to do that today. What are practical steps we can take this week to live out and experience this blessing of gentleness? And here's just a, a few examples. First is that uh, when someone serves me, be understanding, not demanding. I'm thinking of hosts. Uh, at a restaurant or um, a waiter or a waitress, a clerk or a cashier, someone who works for you. Be understanding, not demanding. This summer, um, after one of my son's baseball games, we got late, uh, it got done later in the day and we had missed dinner and so we were wanting to grab something quick on the way home and so 
we decided to stop by the Wendy's in Webster. And as we pulled in, I noticed right away something was just a little bit it, it, not normal. And uh, that was the cars in the drive-through line were like wrapped around the the Wendy's there. And this was past like normal dinner time, so it was a little odd. So we're like, okay, we're gonna park the car and uh, try to avoid that line and go inside. Well, we go inside, and there's only like two people ahead of us, but clearly we were, we noticed right away, like things are not going well in here. The people in front of us were, were upset and frustrated. I looked behind the counter, and the whole place was being run by like 15 and 16-year-olds who were running scared. They didn't have a clue what was going on. And uh, you, you know, you just feel for them. And they're not getting orders right, and things are getting delayed. It was just bad, and the people ahead of us were frustrated. And I remember we finally got to the register, and before I even said anything, this, this girl who had to be 15 or 16 years old, she just simply says to me, she's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, this, it's just been, we're understaffed. Things aren't going well. Thank you for your patience. And I just simply said, I was like, hey, it, it's okay. It, it, it's no problem at all. I totally understand. And that, those simple little words, literally you could see her shoulders, like she took a deep breath and her shoulders relaxed. She took a breath and she knew, okay, at least for the next minute, I'm going to get to, you know, talk to someone who isn't frustrated or upset at me. But that's just a, don't overlook the easy ways to be able to demonstrate and to show gentleness to people. Um, power under control, even when there's every reason to be upset and I sh- it's fast food, right? Why isn't this fast? Like we can get all hot and bothered about that stuff. But man, is it really doing any good? Be understanding, not demanding. Another one, when someone disagrees with me, be tender without surrender. Be tender without surrender. Inevitably, people are going to disagree with us. And look, we need to be tender without surrender. I'm not saying that you need to sacrifice your convictions, you know, in order to be gentle or to lay aside your convictions. Like if someone is saying, hey, this is wrong when you know it's right, well, it doesn't mean you're just like, oh, okay, yes, you're right. No, we are to be tender um, without surrender. That means when we have these conversations where you're talking with someone through a disagreement, our goal should not be to just try, try to verbally, you know, just demolish or devastate the person. Right? That should not be the goal. Hopefully our goal is like that there's still a relationship at the end of this conversation that I can continue with this person. Right? Hopefully we're not just trying to make a point, but we're trying to make a difference. Hopefully we're not just trying to like, man, by the time this conversation is over, I want them to know that I am right. At the expense of the relationship and at the expense of the person. So, man, be tender um, without surrender. And then lastly, another step we can take, when someone disappoints me, be gentle, not judgmental. I feel like this one is more for me than any, anybody else. Maybe you can relate to it too, but man, I am so quick to judge. I'm so quick to be judgmental. And a verse that God has been really using in my heart and life to, to convict me is Ephesians 4.32, where Paul says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Well, just remember, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And this is so convicting to me because, man, when I think of my relationship with God, I think like, wow, God has shown me a ton of slack. He's cut me so much grace and peace, patience. He's shown me so much forgiveness. So when someone disappoints me, man, I want my heart to reflect God's heart for me. So hopefully I'm not like, man, I told you so. Dude, I saw that coming months ago. Or we secretly get excited or happy when someone else's life blows up. Oh, hopefully we can demonstrate being gentle and caring and grace, not, not being judgmental. 
as I was writing this talk, I kept thinking through like, okay, who is the person that I would say best embodies gentleness in my life? Like who's been the best example of gentleness to me in my life? And quickly, you know, I, my, I thought of my dad and my, my dad is an amazing picture to me of what gentleness looks like, power under control. And, uh, I was not an easy kid. I was tough. I was a challenge. But I cannot remember one time where my dad lost it, flew off the rails, lashed out at me in anger, or really just got loud or even. Like, and I got in trouble. Did my dad have convictions? Yes. Did my dad punish me? Yes. Were there consequences? Yes. But he had this ability to, to do it under control. And I remember I was in probably sixth or seventh grade. It was in the summer, and I was like most kids, like trying to figure out how do I pass time on a summer day? And so I decided, all right, I'm going to build a desk for my bedroom. And dad always had wood in the garage and we could tinker and build projects together. And so I decided I was going to build a desk. And so I started trying to do that. And man, I was having a rough time. Like I was trying to hammer the nails in and they weren't going in straight and they were bending over and then I'm pulling them out and then I'm splitting the wood and then I would get part of the desk together and then it would fall apart and collapse and I just remember getting so defeated remember my mom even saw me and I was just I was just crying and she was like hey just take a break wait till dad gets home so I remember waiting until dad got home and in my mind I'm thinking man he's just going to be like so disappointed like how could you not build a, a simple desk or like you should have done this or you should have done that or hey let me step in let, watch what I do I just remember when he got home he came in alongside of me and we just started piecing this thing back together. Him showing me how and what to do and what started as discouragement and despair and frustration slowly started to turn into confidence and courage. And like, okay, I can, I can do this. That's power under control. He could have come in and said, step aside, son. Let me show you all the things you did wrong. Let me fix this thing for you. But instead, he offered and showed and demonstrated gentleness to me. And so I just ask you that question. When you think of gentleness, this fruit of the Spirit, is there evidence of this fruit in your life? How are you doing? And I hope today helps give you a picture of what this looks like in Jesus and how he modeled it for us, but then even too gives you some ways to be able to pursue this in your life. But at the end of the day, I hope you see and know that it can be found in Christ. So don't strive, don't try to manufacture it. Come to Jesus. Place your trust in him, and instead of pressure and stress, he's going to offer you kindness, patience, grace, and gentleness that we then can, in turn, be able to offer to the people around us. Man, that's my hope and prayer for our church, that Northridge Church would be marked by gentleness. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your, your kindness and the gentleness you've shown and, and, and demonstrated to us. And, uh, God, you know what's best for us and you want what's best for us. And I pray that we would all recognize that, that that goodness and blessing comes when we get to the end of ourselves and we turn to you and put our trust in you, knowing that you have good things, good fruit that you want to produce inside of us. But that, God, we would yield to you and surrender to you and have our eyes fixed on you. And as a result, people would say, man, there's something different. Not that we get the praise or the glory, but that instead, that glory... And praise gets directed to you so that those people can come to know you and experience this same fruit that we get to experience as we chase after you. By your grace and by your spirit, God, help us to do that. We pray in Christ's name, amen.